0: Whether you're fly fishing in a stream, getting those ankles wet, or deep in the ocean casting nets, Fish Nerds, Fish Nerds, Fish Nerds, it's a podcast.
1: Hello and welcome to the Fish Nerds, the show about fish, fishing, and eating fish. I'm Clay Groves, Chief Executive Fish Nerd, Licensed Fishing Guide, your best friend. We make a show that's always interesting, usually funny, and mostly <laughs> true. Podcast. This is episode 250. It should be a big landmark. We should be doing a big event, but I'm lazy. I'm all coveted out. I can't. Uh, I can't event anymore online. I my brain is fried up. So we're going to do a, just a normal old show. But we really are excited about 250 episodes, and I do want to make sure I do a quick thank you to all of you, the listeners. The reason I make this podcast most weeks is because I know you're listening. I hear feedback from you every week, and it really matters to uh, me that you're listening because it's so cool. I, I make the show in my basement. It's a hobby podcast. Doesn't I don't make a living off this. I'm a, now a full-time DJ, so you can hear me on the radio every single day at WMWV.com if you want to hear my voice with music around it. You can totally do that. Uh, but I really do appreciate each and every one of you. 250 episodes, seven years in. Uh, I believe it is now the, one of the longest-running outdoor shows on Apple Podcasts, if not the longest-running fishing show. Um, my goal is just to outlast everybody else <laughs> and see how long we can keep this thing going. We will be moving into our summer schedule here in about two weeks, where I start releasing a show probably every other week or so. I just It gets nice out, and I don't feel like... Being behind the mic too much. We have been doing a Fish Nerds Happy Hour on Thursdays. We're going to move that to every other Thursday night. If you're on the Fish Nerds podcast group on Facebook, you will see the schedule up on there. We do game nights. We drink a little bit. We usually have a topical discussion or two. I try to lead it. Uh, this past week, John King, the Crappie Hippie, led it for me. I hear it went really, really well. And some of them I'm going to edit down for future podcasts because some good conversations happening there. Tonight on the podcast, we're going to celebrate 250 episodes by interviewing uh, John Geerock. Geerock is uh, has written more than 20 books about fly fishing. His writing has appeared in Field and Stream, Gray's Sporting Journal, and Fly Rod and Reel, where he is a regular columnist, columnist. He also writes a column for the monthly Redstone Review, and he lives in Lyons, Colorado. So that'll be coming up in a few minutes. His new book is called Dumb Luck and the Kindness of Strangers, uh, we had him on three years ago, almost to the date when he released A Fly Rod of Your Own. Um, he, one of my favorite books by him is called All Fishermen and Li- Are Liars, which is totally true. But he was most famous for writing Trout Bum, because he is the original Trout Bum. So we're excited about having John Gierak on, Gierak, excuse me, on the show. It should be a lot of fun. We are joined to help me interview him. I have... I have Rich Collins, our fly-fishing correspondent, to help with that interview. Um, So that'll come up in just a couple minutes. We also have John King, the crappie hippie, on with us. He's been on a lot lately. We just love him so much. And he uh, has a little honor to Wally Pleasant. Wally Pleasant is our songwriter who has written our theme song for the show. You just heard. Of course, you hear at the end of every episode. So we're super excited about that piece as well. Uh, But. First, I just want to, again, thank everybody for listening, and let's jump right into the interview with John Gearock. I'm here. Hi, John. How's it going?
2: How are you? Good to see you again. Yeah, well, here we are.
1: Here we are, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. well, you know, I had my people call your people. We figured it out. (laughs) Exactly,
2: yeah. Thank God we both got people. Nothing that ever
1: gets done. Yeah, I am my people. Um, John, with me uh, is Rich Collins on the Zoom here. He is our fly fishing correspondent. Hey, John. Good. He helps me. I don't speak the language of fly fishing, so, he helps translate fly fishing to modern English, so I can understand yeah. what you're saying. As long
2: as you can swear like a trucker, you'll get by. Bingo. <laughs> and I don't actually
3: catch fish. I just harass them. You know. Yeah. Right. I look good. I've got the form down, but the catching part, I haven't mastered. They laugh at me.
1: Yeah. So, it's good to see you, John. Um, so, I got a little interview set up with you. Um, I read... Most of your book, but yesterday I scheduled time to finish reading it, and I had a uh, plumbing issue in my rental property. I had to replace a uh, pump in my uh, in my we- my rental my rental well. So yeah. instead of reading about fishing, I was fishing lines.
2: Well, at, least, <laughs> at least it involved water. Yeah, it would
1: definitely involve water. <laughs> <laughs> one step away from yeah. fish. John, I've been struggling with one thing though. Like, how do you say your last name? It's Gurock. Gear rock, told you. Gear rock. <laughs> just gear picture,
2: rock. just picture in your mind a gear and a rock. I got it now. <laughs> yeah, is that Germanic? Is that G- gear rock? Uh, they they tell me it's Austrian. Okay, that was close. But but I think I think that that was my grandparents told me that, and I think that came up during the, wa- the war when it wasn't great to be German. <laughs> so I think suddenly we became Austrians. Ah, uh-huh.
1: <laughs> the old switcheroo. I, I think it's I think it's German. Between yeah. us, it's Germanic, German again. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. All right. So, um, so your new book, John. I've actually, I'm going to back up a little before I talk about your book. We had you on the show three years ago, almost to this very day, uh-huh. talking about your previous book. New book out called uh, "Dumb Luck and the Kindness of Strangers." Have Have you got any? Um, any feedback yet from readers, or is that not out yet?
2: Uh, well, it's sort of out and sort of not. They changed. The original publication date was April 20th, I think. Mm-hmm. And when, uh, you know, all the coronavirus stuff happened and suddenly everybody had to go home and everything was canceled, they um, uh, they moved the publication date to June 2nd. Right. However, in the confusion, some books went out to suppliers – and so they're kind of out there. But <laughs> it's like a soft sort of, release? Sort of not. Yeah, soft release, exactly. <laughs> yeah. a soft yes. opening.
1: Yeah, it's, so this, uh, this book tour is going to be very different for you this time.
2: Well, yeah, it is. Uh, it's all on screen. I, don't, I haven't left my office,
1: you know. <laughs> but you get to still get out and feel. You're in Colorado, so you're not homebound. You're able to get outside and do some stuff, right? I am. Uh, technically,
2: we were uh, locked down, sheltering in place, and uh, the, the rule was um, where you could go out for essential business. You could go to the grocery store, you could go to the pharmacy, you could go to a liquor store or a pot shop, which, which in uh, oh, Colorado, interesting. <laughs> interesting, or outdoor recreation within 10 miles of home. Oh, cool. And within 10 miles of home, or 12, I mean, nobody's following me, right? No. Maybe. I haven't seen any black helicopters, but (laughs) there's plenty of fishing. Um, It's not the best time of year, so I've been kind of relegated to our local tailwater, but it's brewing all the time, so I've been out catching fish. Streams are crowded. Everybody's off work
3: right yeah it's really weird it's like everybody's scared but at the same time everybody's like camaraderie on the water it's, it's interesting people are friendlier, yeah. but but yeah, paranoid we, at the same time
1: <laughs> we <laughs> went out for opening day here in new hampshire and it was during the lockdown but they didn't lock down fishing and for trout for trout ponds and the one-up pond i went to i didn't fish because my fly rod my one fly rod broke in half this winter um <laughs> but i went to watch and the crowd no i know i know I. I'm, I'm a stubborn spin caster, so I'm like, well, I don't need watch. it anyway.
2: <laughs>
3: i like, that. I'm just going to watch from here, guys. Okay, fish. What did yeah. you find?
1: I found tons of people fishing crowded together in, in a tiny little segment of the lake. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, but they were catching fish. So that was, that was fun. Um, so, John, I, I put together. So I want to ask you about, first of all, my favorite chapter in your book is the fishing dogs chapter.
2: because yeah, a lot of people have liked that.
1: Yeah, both Rich and I both uh, fish with our dogs all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a blue healer, So when I was reading about the blue healer in that, I was thinking, oh, I, John would love to hang out with my dog. Now, you wouldn't like Rich's dogs very much, though. Cause
3: my, my, my dogs are a-holes. I don't if know you if I fish with Rich word. and
1: his dogs, if you catch a fish, rather than try to eat the fish, they try to hump you.
3: <laughs> <laughs> no, they try to hump you. <laughs> A yeah. uh, little dominance. There's a little dominance in, in yeah. my, my dog family. One tries to eat the fish, and the other just tries to take advantage of whoever he can and <laughs> be the alpha. So, Yeah, interesting. <laughs> they
2: love to fish, but they just have a different dynamic than, than your yeah. typical dog.
3: Yeah. Well, so- dogs,
2: dogs can be great fun to fish with, or they can be horrible to fish with. <laughs> I, my friend uh, Mike Dvorak in Minnesota has a great dog named Moose. And Moose is really a good fishing dog. I and mean, he's one of the rare, great fishing dogs. He doesn't try to retrieve the fish. He doesn't, I mean, he just basically watches. And if he finds something really smelly, he'll roll in it. And, but, you know, I mean, he's just a dog, but he's, he's not in the way. And he's, and he's good company. He's easier to talk to than, than Mike is. I bet he
1: is. Because <laughs> he, he listens. Oh, oh guess he's been trained. <laughs> you should have trained your kids. <laughs> I use it as
3: an excuse why I don't catch big fish or any fish. I just say, Oh, cause I brought the dogs and they scared everything away. Yeah. Works pretty good.
1: I believe it. <laughs> I, I used to fish with a border collie uh, named Abby and she loved ice fishing and she would sit by the ice fishing hole watching her little fishing rod. And when the rod tip bent, she would dance and scream and go completely insane. And then we'd reel a fish in and let it go. And she would shove her face down under the ice and try to recatch the fish we <laughs> released. Yeah. It was, it was. So reading that, reading that chapter kind of got me in that mode of like, how cool it is to bring those dogs
3: out with you. It's the best. I'd rather just have the dogs out on a stream and look at fish or look at something than even catch fish. Sometimes it's really, I don't know why. I don't know what makes it special just to have a critter there watching you,
2: but. It is actually less lonely. <laughs> it is. It is. It's nice. Um, I I tend to when I'm fishing. I t- I mean I'm I'm perfectly capable of sitting on the bank and drinking coffee or or you know resting a pool. But I'm kind of there to fish. I mean, kind of there to at least try and catch a fish.
1: Yeah. Well, was reading your book, I'm amazed by your fishing stamina because, like, I'm reading about you fishing until like you know, all day long, right past dark into midnight. And for me, I'm like three hours in. I'm like, ah, kind of had enough, but remarkable. 30 minutes, been. 32 <laughs> minutes. <Yeah. laughs> if they have right. bite and
3: clay goes <laughs> home
1: fast. That's why, that, that's why I guide is because I can, I actually like to watch people fish more than catching myself. <laughs> that's the, uh,
3: the uh, advance advancement of your knowledge. When you no longer participate and you just educate or watch others, that means you've mastered the sport, right? Uh, it must. It must. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, so, and, and then my my other thing I really want to talk about was in your bluegill uh, redneck story, uh-huh. which I, was my favorite of all the 13 chapters I read of your book. That was my favorite one because I love fishing bluegill and bass and all that. And you talk about something I've been talking about for years, which is the fish eggs um, traveling from pond to pond. On the legs of fish. You want to tell us what? On the legs, on the the legs, legs of on, fish. The well, legs of birds.
2: <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I, I know a lot of people who believe that, and it sounds plausible. But I, I, you know, I've run it by a couple of biologists, and they say, no, it doesn't happen. Um, if there's a, if they're fish in a pond,
1: somebody put them there at some point yeah they had to get there now did i actually did some research on this you might like this john so they actually did real like scientific studies on to see if like i think they did it with catfish eggs can catfish eggs travel on the legs of geese uh-huh. and and i'm not even making this up this is a real thing they took actual dead geese feet and they they had a certain amount they were testing and they put them in in a controlled environment in the eggs of these fishes and they moved uh-huh. them around to see if how many egg eggs carried with them, uh, to see if there's any plausibility to whatsoever. You wonder what they found? Uh, <laughs> I would say they found it didn't work. <laughs> <That's> exactly right. <laughs> Completely. But everyone like in every part of the country has that story where people believe that to be a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the only thing, you know, I,
2: I wonder about frogs. Mm hmm. Because frog eggs are really sticky mm-hmm. and they're in gobs and they you know stick to the weeds and stuff. And I could see if some wading animal got those on them and went to another pond, I could see how that might work.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. I can see how that can work too. And But frogs have an easier, uh, you know, they can travel anyway on land. So. Yeah, they can
2: hop over there too. Yeah,
1: no one's wondering, how do frogs get, you know, <laughs> to that <laughs> <Yeah>. next pond? <laughs>
3: Perch get in every body of water, right? Like, it's inevitable. I don't know that people stock perch illegally. With, right? A yellow perch? Yeah, they're everywhere.
2: Perch and sunfish? Like bass I get because they want trophy fish. but Yeah, but bass, you know, in that warm water ecosystem, um, some friends and I had a, a pond out here that we, we didn't own it, but the owner said, you know, if you want to, she didn't fish. She said, if you guys want to stock it, and fish in it fine and that's part of the formula and if you want bass you've got to have bluegills or something oh. like them because they they multiply like rabbits and there's something for the bass to eat they eat oh so it's
3: like a real illegal stalker knows the formula
1: well so they they
2: well this they wasn't pre- illegal this was this was perfectly legal oh yeah yeah but, and the private but, pond. um yeah i mean you need you need an ecosystem. You got to, you got to have something for the for the bass to eat.
1: Yep. when they when they brought bass to New Hampshire, there's a book you can read called Bassing in New Hampshire, and it was like in 1890s. They strategically brought all your sunfish up together, so your largemouth bass, smallmouth bass, yep. crappie, bluegills, pumpkin seeds, all together. Yep, yep. For that very reason, just, so you got to feed the fishes.
3: Oh. And ever since then,
1: trout fishermen have been killing bass. <laughs>
3: invasive, invasive.
1: Yeah, you also. I I love the idea in that in that chapter. One of my favorite kind of like just one liners is the idea of inviting a bass home for dinner. I like that kind of really comfortable, <laughs> comfortable line. Do bass anglers get on you for eating bass? Um, it's never happened. <laughs> uh, I don't really know
2: that many bass fishermen. I um, I know when I was in Texas years ago fishing some. Some uh, bass tanks down along the Mexican border with a bunch of local guys that that had a club down there, and I remember them telling me to catch some of them little five pounders so we can eat them, <laughs> eating size, perfect. <laughs> so yeah, I actually most of the bass fishermen I know know how to make beer battered beer battered bass fillets, so. I don't see out. how they could get on me for killing one now and again. I,
4: was I actually, I was
1: actually. Often. I'm I'm glad you said uh, the beer batter. I was actually going to ask you how you cooked your bass. Beer batter fillet is a great way to do it. Yeah,
2: yeah. Another way is um, just mix sort of uh, uh, wheat flour and cornmeal and some spices together, and just roll them in that and fry them in a pan. So they, you know, they don't have that that layer of batter on them, but they're kind of crispy. And, uh, God, you're making me hungry now. <laughs> oh, their they're,
1: bass are delicious and, and, I think, underrated as a table fish. I think people, people in New England generally don't eat bass. We're all very protective of our bass up here. Interesting. Um, yeah, it's a really strange thing to me. I and mean, if you post on, like, the Facebook groups you eating bass, they will blow up on you and lose their gourd over you. Hmm. Um, <laughs> but it makes it more fun anyway. What's your uh, favorite bass fly? Oh, it would be the, um, that Whitlock
2: Swimming Frog. Oh, is that a floater? Yeah, well, it's a, it's kind of based on the Dahlberg Diver. It's got that reverse cup face with, with a flare. So yeah, yeah. When so you, it moves the water. It, it, it floats, but when you give it a, a pull, it dives a little bit and then floats back to the surface. Like a, like a muddler, you yeah. know, versatile. Yeah, a really good way to fish that. My friend Ed Engel taught me this. You get an old sink tip line, and you cut off all but about three feet of the sink tip, and then tie your leader and your and your diver on top of that, and you flip it up against the bank and let the sink tip belly down and then give it a long pull and the mm. line just dives down. So it runs right along the, the contour <laughs> of the bottom. Right wow. down and Swims along the bottom and then slowly floats back up. It's deadly. That's what they can't take—the the weakness, the weakness yeah. point of the float. Hmm. Well, they're like bass are like cats. I mean, if it, some, sometimes you throw a fly out there and let it sit, and they'll come over and look at it. I've seen this happen. They'll come over and look at it, and all you have to do is jiggle it a little bit, and they'll eat it. It's like playing with a cat with yep. a string,
3: and they're moody. Sometimes
2: they're like, <laughs> "Nope, guy. yep."
3: Don't know why. Maybe. Yeah.
2: Ever you ever,
3: um, ever pike fish? Yeah. with oh, fr- yeah. Fly, yeah. That's one thing we've been trying. We we've only got like eight pike in the whole state, but we go up and try to harass <laughs> them on a eight fly. spots, John. Eight, 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 pike. Eight, eight actual pike. You know, <laughs> 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 they, they don't like pike around here, but they do exist. But uh, on a fly, there's a few of us that go out and try to catch them, and boy, is that fun! I can tell you, movie. John.
1: I should tell you, John, that Rich hasn't read your book, and there is a whole chapter in there on muskie fishing.
3: Oh, there is? Yeah. I couldn't get a copy.
2: It wasn't out, but I guess it was. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, muskie are just – they're just deluxe pike. Yeah. You know, same look very similar, uh, except that pike tend to be pretty aggressive, and muskies tend to be – I don't know what, it Just they're, it's hard to talk a musky into biting. Finicky, more finicky. Yeah.
3: So why do we love trout over these giant monster fish?
2: That's a great question. <laughs> well, I like, I have a soft spot for trout because I have a soft spot for fly fishing. And fly fishing really is about trout. All this other stuff came along later. Uh, when I took up fly fishing, it was trout, salmon, and steelhead. Right. Yeah. That was that was it. Nobody fished for anything else. And when I was fishing bass and panfish with a fly rod, all my fancy fly fishing friends started calling me Grits. <laughs> <laughs> grits. You know, I just they didn't get it. But you know, Dave Whitlock was doing that, and I, I picked up on him early on. Colorado is not great warm water. Fishing—it doesn't have great bass and, and bluegills. It's got them, but um, but why do we pine over
3: trout so much? I always think it's the environment, We're flowing rivers, um, cooler
1: environment. I don't know, but why do we do that? Trish. There is something about it when you hold them. though like, you feel like you're holding something different. And I don't know why. Like I'm with you. Like I like catching trout. I get excited about every trout I ever caught, but I can't place why I like them so much. Yeah, that's a good question.
2: Yeah yeah I don't know either um you'd think I'd have more to say about that after from years <laughs> yeah. but i no, i think's nothing <laughs> just, uh, well, you know they're awfully pretty they are beautiful I and mean, that's the, the, probably the prettiest fish in fresh water and um and there's a whole there's just this whole mythology five century old mythology built up around fly fishing for trout and uh that's kind of and
3: the insects kind of, you know, they' vegetable. They tend to be insect feeders, though. Of course, they'll feed on anything, but the the bigger, yeah. the game fish tend to be more like ambush predators on minnows and stuff, right? So, I think the fly yeah. itself is is more critical with trout, but that could be debated, I'm sure.
1: Well, not to mention that if you're a, if you're a fish writer, uh, the <laughs> people love reading about trout. I mean, that's if you look at the genre of fish writing, fly fishing books, trout books, those are the the p- books people want to look at the most, you know, yeah, buying I mean, a lot you know, of bass books. Yeah, that you know, whole mythology. It,
2: well, or, bass, you know, all the other stuff, at least until very recently, was sort of dominated by uh, by gear guys. And God, um, yeah, when Tom McGuane and Jim Harrison and those guys got into fly fishing salt water, nobody was doing it. They were, you know, everybody thought they were just a bunch of crazy hippies and would never catch anything.
1: <laughs> and then they
2: proved it works. Well, they were right about the crazy hippie part, but they were wrong <laughs> about not catching anything.
3: All good stories start with a bunch of crazy hippies went out and dot dot dot. Yeah, yeah
1: that's your, at least that's started your, in the sixties. Yeah, that's your writing prompt for uh, going forward. <laughs> start every <laughs> every chapter out there. Now I was fishing with um, public radio. And I was interviewing them afterwards. And one of the reporters, Sam Evans-Brown, he, uh, from New Hampshire Public Radio, uh, said to me, and I have this on tape, he says, can I call bullshit on something? <laughs> and he was calling bullshit on fly fishing sections of rivers. And is, his statement was, he thinks that fly fishing only segments of rivers are designed to keep uh, the poor masses off the water. And I kind of wanted to get your take on that concept, John. What do you think about that? And that's what NPR reporter saying that. Yeah, um, there may be something to it. Yeah.
2: Um, I usually the 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 reasoning they use for fly fishing only. Well, there's very little fly fishing only. What we have out here and through most of the West is uh, flies and lures only, single hook. Uh, maybe catch and release or maybe slot limit or something. But the, the, the technical possibility of not hurting the fish, so you've got a barbless hook, barbless single hook, you can release them. The mortality. Yeah.
1: Well, well that was uh, the case he was making. He was saying, like in New Hampshire, we have fly fishing only. We have single hook barbless on some sections. He was saying, does the fish care if you're fly fishing with the single hook barbless or lure fishing with a single hook barbless? Does the fish care <laughs> or do they just not want to be caught
2: yeah well he should come to colorado and fish because that's out here it's flies and lures yeah and you know no treble hooks as i recall i mean i it's been so long since i fished that way i don't even pay attention to the regs anymore but uh it's generally no bait because they take bait too deep right kills it. So all it yeah. yeah and uh but yeah i i've In places where there are fly fishing only waters, I I can't remember where I, I have seen that, but I think maybe I saw some in New Hampshire. There might have been Mm -hmm. some in Maine. Yeah. I think you're going to talk
3: to Yankees here because we pay for our licenses and we want to try to get fish that the guys aren't harvesting for food. So they set up these little artificial play areas, fly fishing only, and we all flock to them and stand there with our fly rod. Yeah. It might be an Eastern thing. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. I think it's, a yeah, because there's only so many in the way they migrate. I think they try to, they do a lot of stocking in those areas, too, with the bigger fish, and they yeah. want them to not be harvested because they cost 20, 30 bucks or something to grow. I, I'm guessing, now that I'm yeah. here on your side. It can't they be, it can't be cheap. No, <laughs> it might be a Yankee thing. I never thought of it that way. Fly fishing only sections.
1: Yeah, but anyway, he was, he was really bothered by that. We, we, we talked a long time about that concept, and he really thought it was just, Trying to keep poor people off the water is what he kind of looked at it as. (sighs) Well, (laughs) I, you know, it might have that, it might have that
2: effect. You know, one of the things that struck me about the fly fishermen in Maine is that, because you do see that out, out West here with the exception of the occasional surviving old timer Mm -hmm. uh, with his flies in a Prince Albert tobacco tin in his hip pocket. Uh, you know, the fly fishermen tend to at least aspire to be a little more upscale, uh, while well, the bait and, and spinner guys aren't. But um, I noticed, I, I remember that from Maine, is that people you would never out in the West spot as fly fishermen um, were fly fishing. Mm-hmm. And um, because that's how, that's just how they fish. That's how the grandpa fished. It's how dad fished. It's how you catch brook trout and landlocked salmon. And it's
3: just how you do it. That is true. Yeah. Maine Maine has a tradition of the sporting camps and all the, all the things that were fly fishing and they have native brook trout. So it must be a, yeah, it is a tradition thing. And then they can whip out the, you know, the, chug-a-lug plugs and throw just as well and run the bass boats, but they all seem to know how to fly fish in their back yeah. pocket,
2: whether they do it or not. Down in uh, When we were down in Texas that time, those guys were all gear fishermen. And when they saw we were fly fishing, they all broke out their own fly rods. And they were really good with those too. I mean, they were just fishermen. They fished however, however they needed to fish to get them.
1: Yeah, I'll do that sometimes. I'll get my fly rod out just so I'm not the only one uh, feeling like I I feel a little inadequate sometimes with my spinning gear. So I see a fly rod, I'm like, I'll go, I'll do it. Fine. Which is but, why
3: my dog humped you. You felt weak, and he saw vulnerability. Clay <laughs> caught a fish, and he was all excited. And Scout right. came up and gave him the business. I know hey, photos hey, spotted <laughs> the vulnerability. They're good at that. <laughs> that's that's yeah. it. Yeah, I
1: I will say that I am I am a more effective fly fisher for. Perch, panfish, and crappies—I am for uh, like the four trout I've ever caught on a fly. So, (laughs) (laughs) I think you're more lakes
3: and ponds, right? To be to be real trout, I always think of as rivers, fast-moving waters, wading. I guess that's a tradition, but they're in the they're in the lakes that you fish, and you do catch them. But I think I think it's more about the wading. When you talk about
2: stream well, fly fishing, yeah, again, there's there's a big tradition behind flowing water and out west. You know, we get in Mackenzie drift boats and float these big rivers. And but, um, boy, I've done some great trout fishing in lakes. They uh, you get them in a you get trout in a spring-fed lake that's just full of scuds and damselflies and bait fish and all that stuff, and you know, it gets big, big old. Strong fish.
3: They get less spooky sometimes in those lakes. They just go on feeding frenzies. Yeah. Well,
2: still water's harder to read than rivers because the, the current kind of outlines what the bottom structure's like. But uh, yeah, you can figure out a lake. I grew up fishing lakes in the Midwest and, and up in Minnesota, so I know how to figure out a lake or at least make a make a good shot at it.
1: Hmm. Yeah, And if you get to a lake when it's like first thing in the morning before, you know, before the winds picks up, yeah. you can see where the trout are. I mean, they'll, they'll give themselves away. They'll tell you. So you can you can find them. Hey, uh, we got some uh, li- some uh, fish nerds listeners who have a few questions for you, John, if you don't mind. All right, shoot. All right. Tim Beat from Ohio. Uh, he says, uh, John, you once wrote, if people don't occasionally walk away from you shaking their heads, you're doing something wrong. What thing have you done that made people shake their heads the most? Well, I
2: early on, people couldn't, and I mean early, like in the 70s, people couldn't get their head around that you were releasing your fish. And I think that, I don't remember even what book that was in, but I think that's where that came from because – God, I just remember, you know, I was a kid with long hair and probably a tie-dyed T-shirt out there fly-fishing and releasing trout, and I just remember these old guys coming up and saying, well, you you mean you just throw them back?
1: Sorry
4: about
1: that. Did you get on the fish nerds? <laughs> <laughs> that was me called
2: that. that question in. that will stop in a minute.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I've got some um, nephews that I've been teaching to fish, and they say the same thing, like, will you just send it back? Why? Why don't you eat it?
4: Yeah.
2: All right. Are we done?
4: (laughs) Oh, and they hang up. Uh, Come on.
2: (laughs) It was a salesman, right? Used car warranty. Yeah. 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 Somebody trying to sell me a washing machine or something.
1: Yeah. Well, it's it's the funny thing about catch and release and about fishing in general is it's hard to explain to people if they don't get that joy of catching and holding a fish and letting it go. Uh, it doesn't well, make sense. And, so. and there's people, you know, non-fishermen who think you're throwing a bad dead.
2: Right. Right? And well, they, they actually get really incensed, and, and it's it's great fun to… Say, no, watch, here, see, he swims away,
1: he's fine. Yeah. You should, though, once in a while, throw away a dead fish in front of them and pretend it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> and make them shake their heads. That's what yeah. would work. Yeah, Actually, yeah. This is true. Uh, back to the dogs. I, my dog, a few years ago, before, my, my previous dog, Abby, um, the one who liked to ice fish, uh, we lived on a lake for a while, and I once caught a fish and released it, and it, and it went belly up and floated down. Where I couldn't get it to like revive it, and I sent, she was a big dog into fetching, and I said go get it, and she swam out and got that fish and gently carried it back to me. I was able to revive it and let it go. So one time ever she was useful. Whoa. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so it could happen. Um, John King, uh, the crappy hippie from Kansas, wants to know: Have you ever caught a gar on the fly?
2: Uh, no. But not for lack of trying. I, I was out in Kansas, somewhere around um, Wichita, years ago, trying to catch them and couldn't do it. Uh, we were And we were, you know, we were fishing for long nosed gar. <coughs> they had this really bony mouth and a bazillion little tiny teeth, but you can't hook, a hook won't sink. Mm. So you fish with, you take a length of, rope a couple inches long Mm -hmm. white nylon rope and you take a knife and you fray it all up and you tie that on the end of your leader and when they grab it their teeth get tangled in it they can't let go i've heard of this interesting so it's like a finger trap but for their little jaws (laughs) yeah it's it's sort of a chinese finger finger puzzle but um (laughs) You know, it was just we drove out there, and it wasn't really happening. We every once in a while you'd see one, and um, you'd see him break the surface now and again. The water was real muddy; uh, just didn't work. And I never did try it again, but I wouldn't mind doing it. I mean, it's it was it was interesting.
1: Hmm. Yeah, and anything new is always interesting. Yeah. John, you you are, do you have an open invite, John King uh, from Eastern Kansas to. You know, if you ever want, want someone to fish, but he didn't invite you down. So <laughs> Keep it in mind. Yeah. <laughs> when you're itching to fish Kansas. I can't wait to go to Kansas. No one, <laughs> no one ever said that. No. <laughs> the burk trout capital of the Americas. I hear they Kansas. got that brown water down there. Uh, <laughs> so um, I want to play a little game with you. I, I pulled some John Gerak quotes and some other fishing quotes, and I'm going to read them to you, John. No, I'm, yeah, I'll read them to you, and I'll read one to columns. We'll go back and forth, and you tell me, are these John Gearock quotes or not? <laughs> so you have to recognize your own writing. <laughs> <laughs> Dig deep in the memory banks. Yeah. Are okay. you game? Shoot. All right. So this was first one's for you. Um, let's see. If you fish the wrong fly long and hard enough, it will sooner or later become the right fly. Did you say that? Yes. Yeah, he knows himself. All right, Rich, this one's for you. Did John say this? If people concentrated on the really important things in life, there would be a shortage of fishing poles. No. He did not say that. That's a Doug Larson quote. Yeah. Uh All right, John, did you say this? If fishing is a religion, fly fishing is high church. No. No, that's Tom Brokaw. Oh, that was a a good one. I'm not surprised you, don't, you, know, you know your own self. All right. How about this one, um, Rich? Really, the only thing a psychiatrist can do that a good fishing guide can't is write prescriptions. Yes. Did John say that? John did say that. I
3: have a couple books, John. I don't have the new one, but I've, I've enjoyed your work for you.
1: <laughs> How about this one, John? There's a fine line between fishing and standing on the shore like an idiot. No, I don't think they said that. No, you did not. Stephen Wright said that. That said, yeah, I've heard that. that that's, a, that's a classic. Uh, here's one for you, Rich. Lawyers are like nuclear weapons. By all rights, they shouldn't exist. But if some people have them, then you better have one too, just in case.
3: That doesn't have anything to do with fishing. <laughs> so,
1: oh, I don't know. Let's see. Does John?
3: John doesn't seem like a guy that really likes lawyers. <laughs> Unless they're fish. I'm
2: going to say no. John, did you say that? Yeah, I did. He ah, did. Shoot, I did. <laughs> so You got me with the non-fishing if you, stuff. If you read that passage carefully, it doesn't compliment lawyers. No. Right. <laughs> it, it compares them to weapons of mass destruction. But not bottom feeders. Not bottom feeders, no. That's too easy.
1: <laughs> All right. Got me on that one. All right. Last one, John, for the win here. Uh, Fishing in rainy conditions may make fishermen seem crazy to the great mass of unimaginative people, but then few fishermen care what they think. I think I might have said that. I think you did. Yeah. I think you did. You know, I've done this before with other authors who didn't know what they said. (laughs) Have you really? John got a perfect score. Well, he should. That means even, yeah, sure. even in Colorado, with all the pot smoking availability and alcohol available during the pandemic, he can still remember what he wrote.
3: <laughs> I, I can't even remember what I did yesterday, so I'm, I don't know.
1: <laughs> yeah, we haven't been locked down too tightly in New Hampshire. The state's been locked down, but we've been able to go out and fish and play and have a good time. So Definitely. We, so with your new book coming out, John, and your, your, your book tour from home, what are you looking forward to next?
2: Well, um, I'm looking forward to trying to figure out how I can be a fly fishing and travel writer who can't travel. <laughs> that's that's going to be fascinating. Not not Zoom. Zoom won't do it for you. Zoom is not. I mean, it's fine for this, mm-hmm. but somehow it wouldn't be the same. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that you know. Plus, uh, you know, whenever this is over, just getting back to real life. But. That's going to be an interesting proposition. Um, you know, we, we've we've kind of opened up the shelter-in-place thing now with with all kinds of provisions and limitations. But um, it's going to be a long time before I get on an airplane again. Right. That's yeah. But uh, I I can pretty easily hop in the car and drive. I'm on the east slope of the northern Colorado Rockies. I can drive to the west slope in I don't know an hour and a half. Uh, I'm um, Wyoming is right up there, so I can get to Wyoming pretty quickly. And uh,
1: and they're okay with you crossing the border and not quarantining for two weeks before you fish.
2: Well, actually, <laughs> um, last I heard, they weren't selling out-of-state licenses. Really, but, but yeah, but that's going to change. Uh, Washington. Was another one Washington State. They weren't selling out of state licenses. Yeah, I think they might have stopped fishing, didn't they? they, All fishing for a bit. They did. They barred fishing. It's crazy. Boo! Like they didn't. I don't. I never heard an explanation of why fishing is all about social distancing.
1: Not in Washington. Have you? Mm. Have you been fishing in the Puget Sound, like around Seattle and stuff? No, no. On the piers, and it's people crowded out, and yeah, yeah. I've done a lot of fishing out in Washington State, and it can be even in, when you think you're alone, people show up and boom, in as big a state as that is. the um, In New Hampshire, I found out yesterday, just opened up guiding again, but I forgot that I didn't <laughs> notice they closed us. So I didn't either.
3: I heard that too, and I'm like, I got, never closed we
1: closed it. Got, we got a governor message saying guided fishing is now back on the table. I'm like, oh. <laughs> No one told me. Luckily, the lockdown happened between seasons, so it didn't matter anything. Anyway. Yeah. So, but I'm not going to be guiding this summer. I think, John. I think i this summer. I am I, when guiding for me, it's a very hands on. I touch people a lot, not not badly, <laughs> um, but whoa! I, I don't know if I could guide and socially distance myself from people. It's gonna be really hard. Summer. It's hard. Yeah.
2: Well, it is. It's hard to tie somebody's fly on when you're six feet away from them.
1: <laughs> well, they can hand you the point the rod at you and shake it around.
2: Yeah, I suppose. Uh, but
1: yeah, now John, um, in your book, there's on each chapter heading there's these illustrations. Is that, is that your work? No, no,
2: that's uh, Glenn Wolf.
1: Glenn Wolf. He lives in Traverse City, Michigan.
2: Mm-hmm. And um, God, he's he's illustrated. I think all my books for Simon and Schuster. To go back to uh, Sex, Death, and Fly Fishing. So, uh, That's one I have, yeah, everybody has that one. All men. <laughs> I know it's so basic
3: now. I everybody don't have it. <laughs> it's a, uh,
2: it's a, it's a good seller. And somebody told me it's because women and daughters who are looking for father's day and, and, uh, birthday gifts for their dads see that and go, well, we got to get this for dad.
1: Hmm. So, do, you, do you title your own books, or is that the marketing department Simon Simon Schubert? I,
2: right? I title them, and uh, usually my title gets through, but every once in a while, we have a discussion. And, <laughs> were, uh, that, were there any bombs? Were there, it just didn't <laughs> work like, that they tried to change? Um, well, I don't know. I feel like they work because, if only because all the books are still in print. <laughs> but... Um, I mean, even back, even back as far as Troutbum, the the publisher was uh, we didn't like the title. Oh, really? I love now, that title. Well, yeah. I mean, at the time, I was thirty, and he was seventy-five. Oh, so you weren't? I think he, I think he was one of those old-time fly fishing guys with the kind of English tweed and cane had on his elbows. Yeah, I'd probably, be, yeah. <laughs> a and, gilly, uh, uh, A great guy, by the way. And we, I prevailed. <laughs> we, weren't <laughs> like, we weren't a knockdown drag activity, but, Uh I remember years later, guy's dead now, but years later I was in a, a cafe in Boulder and, um, and i saw him across the room waved at him and he he walked over and put his hand on my shoulder and he said by the way you were right about trout Bum, and oh, walked away
1: that's a win and and that that book kind yeah. of defined you know your whole genre right that i think that's the, when people talk about you that book seems to come up oh the trout bum himself you know yeah, yeah, it worked in that sense. So, congratulations! By the way, congratulations on making a career in the fishing writing world. I mean, that on its own uh, is remarkable feat. The fact that you can, you know, live so lavishly on your writing. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The estates <laughs> and the private helicopters. You know. yeah. okay.
2: People. <laughs> oh yeah, you can travel to fly fish. You've got your copter. Yeah. Batmobile. Some somebody. I wish I remember who it was, but somebody said of. Of outdoor writing, it's not much of a living, but it's a hell of a life. I'm gonna, to, I'm gonna have to figure out who said that. <laughs> you did. Right. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna quote <laughs> you just now. But it's it's a quote <laughs> somebody. Yeah,
1: well, it's, it's so. a good quote, and 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 for those people like me who aspire to to make any kind of money in the outdoor world, seeing someone like you who actually is. How I would define successful—it's—it's um, it's inspiring, John, and I'm—I really appreciate the work you do because of that.
2: Well, you know, it's—it's it's been fun, and there's times when it hasn't been fun, but you know, overall, it's been fun to do. Um, you know, you get when you get up in your 70s, you're not as comfortable as you used to be living by your wits. <laughs> Because you don't, you're not sure you have them all still. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Especially in a social media video, three second attention span
2: world, it's a little different, huh? Yeah, it's well, hard to adapt. Thank God I keep selling books, so there, <laughs> there are still some people who can read, who can read, and can sit down and read seventy thousand words and not get distracted.
1: Oof it's It's a challenge and I, reading especially like reading like on like i'm I don't usually read on the on the iPad, yeah I always yeah you know, I'll read a chapter then I'll look at a video somewhere and I'll forget that I was reading a book and I think that's a, the the difference between reading now and then also i like to I like to take a book outside and sit outside and get it dirty and mark it up and I've been writing all over my iPad and it just ruined it yeah <laughs> <laughs> sharpie.
2: There's a guy, I think he was in, he's going to send me this book. I think he was in Oregon, but he he wrote and said he had found a copy of Sex, Death, and Fly Fishing floating in the backwater. <laughs> and he took it and he dried it out and he said it's got like cased caddis in it and
3: Hello.
2: uh and, it, it, of course, it's, it's about th- two feet thick, and right. he wanted to send me send it to me so I could sign it for him. Hmm. And I said, absolutely. Of course. Yeah.
1: Did he send it? He's gone. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. <laughs> probably get confiscated by the u.s mail look at that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <Ractors>. illegal
1: <laughs> illegal <laughs>
2: insect peddling uh, well presumably it's dry now
1: <laughs> <laughs> sounds gross but i think it's really really cool but anyway congratulations john on the new book do you have any, any last no. things you want people to know about this book why should why should they care
2: well, I don't know. They should care because I need to make a living. <laughs> that's a good reason. Good but, enough. But you know, honestly, I think it's a good book. This is my twentieth book, mm-hmm. and I like to, I like to believe that they keep getting better. So I, I actually, I actually believe this is my best book yet. And others will make their own judgment, but you know, that's what I think.
1: Well, I enjoyed what I've read so far, and I'm I'm going to get through it. And I, what I like about your style of writing is that it's, it feels like just a, it's like a bunch of essays uh-huh. that kind of fit together. But I can but I could I could skip it. Like if I want to go write to Bluegills and read that chapter, I can go there, and it doesn't impact for me. it Doesn't impact the book. It's it's
2: terrific. Yeah, a guy once told me he liked my books because the chapters were just the right length to read on the toilet in the morning <laughs> that might have been me that, yeah, it, might have been. <laughs> it might have been every guy. Guy New Hampshire. anyway
1: yeah.
3: <laughs> well, congratulations,
1: <laughs> john. richard you got any, any final parting words for john
3: well i, I don't know why i'm i want to ask this but i want to know what john's favorite fly rod is either Ooh. type size weight like is there anything that you love? Or are you just not a a rod guy? Is it bamboos? Is, is there? A-
2: oh, I'm yeah, I'm definitely a rod guy. Um, you know, it's hard because I have a whole bunch of rods that I really like, and I had been fishing. You know, we had this blue wing olive hatch for about a month, and I've been fishing a Mike Clark, seven foot nine inch five weight, and um, because. All the other fishermen were grabbing all the the pools that were easy to fish. I ended up in the pocket water, Mm -hmm. which is great. Pocket water fishing is great. But um, I wanted more reach with the rod than I was getting from a seven foot nine inch, so I dug out an old Wright McGill Granger Victory, which was, or um, Granger Favorite, which is made. In the uh this one was probably made in the fifties and it's right down the road in Denver. Mm-hmm. Great rods. And um It's all classic. It's eight, a half, it's eight and a half foot long for a four-weight line. Hmm. And it's I've just I've been loving fishing it. You know, I mean, I've fished it for the last couple of weeks. And um is, um, all, is it graphite,
3: bamboo, it's, fiberglass? It's bamboo. Bamboo, so an old bamboo. Yeah, I don't know. I just felt compelled to ask you that because everybody's – there's so many high-end rods now, but they all just throw a line further, right? So people are starting to change what they want out of a rod. I
2: thought it would be interesting. Yeah, and, you know, when I used to work in uh, fly shops, people would come in, and they want to try out a rod, and they'd always want the rod that they could cast the farthest. Yes. And I learned to go out and say, well, where do you fish? And they'd tell me a couple of places, and I'd say, well, do you ever cast that far there? And they'd say, well, no. And I'd say, well, let's (laughs) get a rod that casts at the range you're used to fishing. Sweet spot, yeah. Because that's that's the rod you're going to be happiest with. Yeah, a little finesse on the middle is always nice. Yeah. The only time you need, you know, distance is if you're – Fishing Pyramid Lake in Nevada where you wade out armpit deep with a stepladder, climb to the top of the stepladder, and cast from there. It's on my bucket list, yeah. That's what yeah. I want
3: to do. Or, <laughs> or saltwater. Saltwater yeah. fishing. Just as
2: weird as you imagine. Is that, is that a real thing? You weren't making that up? Oh, yeah. It's real no, thing. I'm not making that up. Oh god, you, okay. If you go on, you look up Pyramid Fishing, look up Fly Fishing Pyramid Lake.
3: Uh-huh
2: online and the first thing you'll see is a picture of a line of guys on the top of step ladders step ladders God. yeah they bring it's kind of like the rigs
3: they have at the cape cod canal that they drag out every day to fish with they have their ladder rigs so they yeah. can
2: spot yeah and they make they stuff. make special fishing ladders where it's got a handle and wheels and a, a cup holder <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so you can you can drag it down to the water that's it, amazing a whole little industry there. So those are big native fish too, I think, right? Are they cutthroats or are they? cutthroats. They're Lahontan cutthroats. And they, they get big. They catch, you know, a couple of 20-pounders out of there uh, every year. God. But, you, you know, your average fish is perfectly respectable. You know, 20, 24 inches.
1: And you're on a ladder, so that adds two <laughs> inches at least, and, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's amazing. I, I went cutthroat fishing last summer for the first time, and I'm, they would just jump over the flies. They would not eat the flies. they just cut over them every time.
3: Yeah. Interesting.
1: We were skittering flies across the top of Rapids in Washington State, and they were just jumping over them. Were you know, they f- denying them, or were they – they
3: got pretty good aim. But
1: well, okay, I'll take it back. Good. I wasn't fishing. My, my 12-year-old daughter was fly fishing for them. Uh-huh. She, she was doing far better than anyone, <laughs> so she had it worked out. You had it worked out. One more quick question. It was a question for you um, from North Country Angler Fly Shop. They want to know how you feel about stocking trout on top of native trout. Oh, not this question! I know, I yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, I I would rather people didn't do that um, because it's what happened to so many of our native trout out here is that they. They stocked rainbows on top of cutthroats, and uh, the rainbows out-competed the cutthroats, it's and the easy. cutthroats are gone, and now people out here are scrambling to reestablish cutthroats 80, 100 years later. It's too late. So, <laughs> you, well, yeah, in some cases it is too late. But, you know, I'm not a fisheries biologist, and so there might be a good reason— um, but generally, native trout don't compete well with fish that haven't always been there.
1: That's about, that's about what I think too. Mostly, yeah. I, mostly, I'm I'm tired of the question. I keep getting asked that <laughs> over you know, <Yeah>, yeah.
3: again. <laughs> well, we have we have more people than we have habitat in the East, especially. It's just so yeah. overpopulated that we, without stocking, we really can't sustain a solid fishery. So it's
2: kind of a necessary evil, but it does so much damage that I suppose it is. Yeah, I suppose it is. I mean, all we had in the West, the Mountain West, was uh, one kind or another of cutthroat, and now the vast majority of our our good fishing is um, brown trout and rainbows. Wow! And so we wouldn't have much. We had we had cutthroats. We had squawfish um actually they had, they renamed them because you can't say squawfish anymore <laughs> but you just did oh my god but uh god what did they rename we, them wonder what will happen to me now um <laughs> well <laughs> i forget what the i forget what the name
1: i have to look it up i've never heard of this name
3: is because it is verboten
2: pike minnows pike, oh
3: pike minnows that's what they yeah. call
2: them? yeah
3: that but they roll, get, rolls off
2: the tongue. They actually get really big. They're, they are a minnow, technically, but they get really huge. They used to catch them commercially, call them white salmon.
1: <laughs> we have we have our big minnow in New Hampshire's uh, fall fish, and we just love catching those guys up here. So We like big minnows.
2: Yeah, they're yeah. fun.
1: And they'll pick up a fly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Any, yeah. Anything that's anything that lives in water and doesn't have legs is fun to catch. Perfect. <laughs> All right, John, well, we're going to let you go now, but we really appreciate your time today. You and um, and uh, we'll put links up at fishners.com, I think, if I, if I ever get around to updating the website, and we'll uh, link to your book there. <laughs> so.
3: All right. Good to see you guys. Pleasure, thanks, me, pleasure meeting you and pleasure talking to you. Good luck. All right. Your sure joy. So.
1: Thank you. Bye. Take it easy. All right. That was cool. Yeah. But I'm going to end the time here with you, Rich, in one minute. Do you want to give any thoughts on your time chatting with a fly fishing legend? Uh, legend yeah, of Gearock. It just brings up like his work from
3: what I know of. It just brings up uh, sentiment or I don't know what the right word is, but it brings up that cerebral part of fishing that, they, mm-hmm. that you don't always talk about, especially if you're just out slamming big fish. And, um, I think that's why I get so bored with like, look how big my fish is. Like that's not even the point catching them. You are just reeling in a thing, right? It's the whole process. Um, And he's really good at explaining that. But when I read about it, I'm like, no, I want to be there. I don't want to read about it. So, yeah. But that whole, the whole process of fishing is a thing and teaching my nephews now is making me realize that I don't care if I catch fish. I want to go fishing. And I think that's important.
1: Yeah. Um, I think that's what, what I get out of guiding is I like bringing people fishing. You know, I get a lot of joy out of just watching or teaching someone else to do it. Um, But whenever I talk to people like John, I always feel like I'm not fly fishing nearly enough. Uh, I always feel so inadequate. (laughs) Yeah, it's a
3: weird little thing that, I mean, I'm sure you get it. Spin fish, no, maybe you don't. I don't know <laughs> when it all clicks, and you're just looking around, and you're just looking up at the sky, and you're watching the water, and you hear everything. Yeah, you probably it's like that early morning dawn thing when just everything's perfect. Yeah, and that, that's the fly fishing that I think we talk about. Um, but. Yeah, I don't know how you do your job because, like, even when I take the kids, if they don't catch a fish, I just, like, I turn into a puddle. I question everything about oh. my life. Like, I suck. I don't know what fish do. They're just a dumb animal. I think of you going, fish are dumb and easy to fool. And then I'm like, why can't we catch one?
1: Yeah, well, it's, it's worse as a guide because people are paying you of dollars oh, yeah. And if you can't put them on fish, you feel like... Like, they're all very forgiving. They're always like, well, that's why they call it fishing and all that crap. <laughs> that's a, like, it breaks my heart. So, I always think the very the most important fish of the day is the first fish. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then you break like, that seal, you're good to go. You can, And then once you relax, you catch more fish. Yeah. Because you're not
3: most overthinking it. I put people on the fish, but the people don't listen to how to catch the fish. So, you're like, yeah. that's even worse. You're just gouging your eyes out. Like,
1: come and on. Just... Very, very common. We've seen this winter, we had people on the ice lake trout fishing who. Would hook the fish, and then not set the hook. And lake trout's hard enough to get <laughs> to get the bite, and their line is bent over. And you say just one time, lift up hard. And they, just, they don't. <laughs> they don't do it, or they lift up three times in a row, and hook it, and shake the fish off. You know, that's a, <laughs> yeah. You, oh, set the hook once. <laughs>
3: it's, it's a monotonous thing, <laughs> but.
1: Yeah. But we'll see what happens. I have no idea what's going to happen with the guide business for me uh, with the COVID thing. I'm, I can't get that close to people. Um, and, you know, the, the radio wants me now every day. So, do uh, yeah, go where the grass is growing. Hey. Go, and they, I gave me, they gave me my own studio that no one else goes in. It's private space. Oh, you've so you got a sterile? COVID studio? I've got a COVID studio. <laughs> oh. Yeah. COVID free, I mean.
3: Well, yeah, but I yeah. mean,
1: wow. Yeah. That's that's a high honor. You're like King. There's only six people allowed in the whole in the in the um, in the offices of the, the studio. Office. So yeah. Do you have a do you have a name, like a DJ name yet? Yeah, you ready for this? King Valley Valley It's, it's Clay. Like the <laughs> like the mud? Yeah, just like that. Like, oh, uh, <laughs> hey, this is Clay. This is how I talk. <laughs> <laughs> My radio voice. Radio. W M W V. Are
3: you excited?
1: But it's weird too because I'm on air right now. So if you if you tune in to WMWV, you can hear me talking between songs, even though I'm not there. So machine. I, well, I'm only live on the weekends. <laughs> and uh-huh. the, my weekday shifts, I can do I can do whatever I want to. Sweet. Yeah, it's cool. I do a lot of production. I make commercials. I Edit commercials for them. And
3: I know. As soon as I'm allowed back in the valley, I can come
1: listen yeah fine. you're allowed. just don't right. tell my friend john <laughs> my wife asked me about him is he
3: serious or is he being sarcastic and he's, i'm like i think he's both It's he both he's
1: playing with you mostly yeah, him, so. yeah he's,
3: <laughs>
1: all right i gotta go because i got kids and wives and things yeah stuff all right thanks <laughs> yeah. good time book will come out June the 2nd on Simon & Schuster. You can pick it up at Amazon or wherever good books are are sold. Hopefully the audio book will be out as well. I read 80% of the book uh, only about half before I interviewed John, so there's a few awkward moments in that interview. You probably heard them trying to get him to tell some stories. Always a challenge when you don't know someone very well, and it's a different you know fly fishing for me is different than what I usually do, so a little uncomfortable for me. But very nice of John to come back on the show for a second uh, appearance. We appreciate him very very much. Next up, we got the crappie hippie with a tribute to Wally Pleasant, and. uh I love Wally just about more than anybody, so I'm super happy that John also gets it.
0: Well, I went to the mall one sad day because I needed a haircut in a bad way. But to my surprise, that barber didn't just take a little off the sides, no. And when he was finally done, I wished I had a gun. You see, I looked in the mirror and almost fainted because my head looked like something Picasso painted. I had a bad haircut. Bad haircut. Bad haircut. The, the, the bad haircut, bad haircut. Well, the next day in school, I wore a hat in order to avoid ridicule. All right, everybody, I want
4: to start this piece off with a little story here. I was up in the uh, northeast part of the country, in New Hampshire, to be specific. I was out on a guided fishing trip with this really renowned guide on his pontoon boat, and uh, the group on the boat was rather mixed. We had a local fly fishing expert named rich and we had these two kind of spacey groovy uh blonde women on board that were all strung out on wedding cake and popcorn you know pixar movies and generic pop apparently they'd been partying hard all weekend and we're kind of in the burnout wind down part of the experience um every now and then the older one she'd pick up uh her telescoping fishing pole and catch a few fish uh apparently she and the guide knew each other in passing or whatever but i could you know clearly see that she was showing us that uh if we were having problems catching fish it certainly wasn't his fault and the younger one she was in charge of the music and kept playing the hamilton uh soundtrack over and over and over and over again uh, I finally asked her, I said, Excuse me, miss, um, I'm about to slip my wrists here, or uh, maybe like just cut my ears off and put them in a box and send them to you. Uh, Couldn't we uh, maybe change the music to something else? And she was agreeable, very, very nice young lady, and, and uh, she put on songs about stuff. And that's where the epiphany occurred. We'll be right back. Ready to
0: go. And he was ready to put on a show. He's got a dislocated shoulder, a bloody head, and he's trying hard not to cry. Backyard wrestler guy.
4: Okay, so the younger one, she... What's the record on, and uh, apparently it wasn't her thing because she gets up and uh, wanders off and gets out her pet crawdad and starts um, attaching it to the fly guy, uh, Rich's face in different ways, like creating a nose ring, um, uh, ear ring, and so on, and he, he's crying out in pain. Uh, it was really funny. Um, so while they were over there uh, creating uh, next wave fashion with a live animal, Um, I started listening more and more uh, intently to the record, and it was more and more familiar all the time. And when it got to Bad Haircut, I I just knew... Wally Pleasant, I know Wally Pleasant, you know, I was in the 90s. I know some of you, our listeners, were way too young or not even born when this record came out in 1992. Um, I know some people just aren't into that college scene, that college music scene, but uh, I had a little cafe from 1996 to 2004. Uh, We had a lot of young people. We listened to a lot of college radio, and I certainly remember Wally Pleasant and the uh, bad haircut song and some of the other songs on this particular album um spectacular and Anyway, um, in the middle of Rich's screams as the younger lady, she kept uh, attaching the crawdad to more and more sensitive parts of his face. I mean, you know, I thought the eyebrow piercing was a little much. I mean, it it looked good, uh, but it it did seem real uncomfortable for the the fly guy. Uh, Anyhow, I'm listening to this, just eating it up, grinning from ear to ear, remembering cleaning the restaurant and listening to Wally Pleasant uh, sing Bad Haircut and other songs uh, back in the 90s when I had an indie restaurant and was listening to indie college cool music. And Wally Pleasant, of course, is the fellow that does our theme song. So I can't imagine a more hip, a more cool, a more fun person to do the Fish Nerds theme song than Mr. Wally Pleasant. Okay, I'd like to take just a quick minute and read an excerpt here by Sean McCarthy. This is from a 1997 issue of the Daily Vault uh, review on Wally's record, Songs About Stuff, which uh, Sean McCarthy writes, If one artist of the 90s is to be condemned to college radio, it would be Wally Pleasant. Pleasant is college rock personified. Songs About Stuff is a purchase that is almost essential for any college rock fan. Too jaded and introspective to be lumped together in the geek humor rock genre, and too much of a sense of humor to lump him in the pavement crowd, Pleasant is a treasure. And I couldn't agree more. I mean, he... You know, but look who they're comparing them to. the Dead milkman camper van Beethoven, uh, President of the United States. I mean he's got that same wit, uh, but it goes deeper. it's more caustic, uh, definitely not uh, public radio uh, you know commercial radio uh, uh, ready. although uh, we had a st- couple of stations that were way into the the 90s when it was the the hot music and I certainly heard Wally Pleasant on 96.5 the buzz uh, back in the day. fat chance you'll ever hear it now. Um, But also, uh, I see that uh, in 2004, he put out an album called uh, Music for Nerds and Perverts, and um, especially right after our Valentine's episode, uh, Nerds and Perverts is pretty much what we're doing around here. Um, So I want to uh, get that record and give it a listen, and I bet you probably do too. So.
0: Well, I see her on your arm, looking bored and hot I would like to give her a shot Try to give her what she wants, and go the extra mile But don't worry, I just want her for a little while Pick her out, then I'll take her home I'll bring her back when I'm done So you're not alone, out with the old And in with the new, I'll be her listening ear When she complains about you Cause I, gotta get with
4: your girl Alrighty, that was a little snippet off of Nerds and Perverts called Get Your Girl. Uh, Really funny song. Good, good, typical Wally Pleasant uh, humor there. Uh, You know, our good friend Donna Hume of the Varmint's podcast uh, suggests that our intro-outro sounds just like the Violent Femmes in a lot of ways, and that is a very apt comparison. Once again, another fabulous late 80s, 90s band uh, to compare Wally Pleasant to. Uh, He was in a good crowd. He was in good company, and you really really can't be a student of that era, that that mid to late 80s to mid 90s era without checking in to Wally Pleasant. It's great music to fish by. It's great music while you're driving along. It's great music just to get a wry smile when you need one. Uh, you can find Wally Pleasant on Facebook. He has a Facebook page. And, of course, he's easy to find in all the usual spots on the uh, Internet and the streaming services, uh, YouTube, Spotify, etc., 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 Um you want to hear him chatting it up with Clay? That's episode 193, where Clay talks about Wally's book, A 1001 Oyster Jokes, and actually uh, plants the idea that he'd like him to do a theme for us. And by golly, the guy went and did it, and we can't thank you enough, Wally. We sure appreciate it. We love the theme. It fits us very well. So this has been Croppy Hippie, your tree-hugging redneck, saying listen to the music. Peace out.
0: Bad haircut. haircut, bad haircut, bad well, haircut. Some people look at me like I've lost my mind. I often answer the question, was your barber blind? One woman said I looked like her Pekingese and my parents think I have a disease. And I go to a psychiatrist these days, who tells me I'm just going through a phase. And my best friend thinks I'm trying to set a trend. I had a bad haircut, bad haircut, bad haircut. Hair,
1: I, well, you're going to cry about it for a while. Whoa, 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 whoa. Thanks, Crappy Hippie. And honestly, the amount of work you've been doing on the show the last few months has been uh, way outside of what expectations are for people who work for free. But we really do appreciate it. Other things we appreciate are people who give us money. Uh, because this podcast is a hobby show, we do it for generally for free. I have some advertising, but it the advertising helps us cover our costs. It costs about, I'm up about three fifty a month now to produce this podcast. I believe it or not, there's a lot of super secret expenses, and when you start making a podcast that um, that is listened to by a lot of people and distributed in a lot of places, all that costs money. Uh, a lot of little subscription costs for audio editing and that sort of thing, and those all add up. And without support from you, the listener, uh, we would not be able to do it. So I just want to give a quick shout out. We um, our, pe- our members give us money at patreon.com slash fishnerds. And I just want to kind of quickly thank everybody who's given us money. And if you want to give us money, we really do appreciate it. All donors will get Fish Nerds, uh, <laughs> Nerds ringtones that you can have on your phone. So I'm, I'm, I'm really annoyed by my ringtones now because they are my Fish Nerds theme song. So in no particular order, here's who we are thanking for their money. And we really, really appreciate it. Alan Byrne, Andrew Lewin, Anthony DiPolito, uh, Bethany Metz, Backwoods Graphics, they make our decals too, Big Buck Registry, Big Buck Podcast, Bradley, no last name, Brian Wallenzak, I probably said that wrong, Chad O'Leary, Chandler Dobson, Christopher, whose last name is not showing on my spreadsheet, Christopher Englert, Cody Fondy, Courtney D., and Courtney D, if you're still listening, I sent you a decal and it got returned to sender, so your address I have is no good. Uh Dave Jackson from the School of Pat podcast. And give us some money here. Um, Dave Williamson, Ed Hind from England, uh Fish Guy Josh, Frank Longaria Longoria, Graham Meehan, thank you. Gregory Sitzman, Hugo Madeira, so he used to be our our cooking correspondent. We haven't heard from Hugo in quite a while. I'll try to get back on the show. Jeff Danielson, our effing librarian. Joe, Super Joe Pardo. Jonathan Sutter. Josh Lopes, Lopestax.com. Kate, no last name. Uh, <laughs> Kevin Kupzik. Lycan Rancor. Lindsey Freeman. Mark Pieper. or Piper, I don't know. Mike Mark, we see him at the Fishers Happy Hour. Matt Philippi, Michael Steffen, who. Uh, Won the Great Rotary Ice Fishing Derby this year. We had on the show a few months ago. Michael O'Keefe, Manga Bay, who does a news uh, podcast. Nicholas Craig, Olaf Nelson, uh, Ray Layton, Reed Sutter makes our fish sex music. (laughs) He doesn't want me to say that, but I'm saying it. Uh, Renegade Clock, which is also a podcast. Rich Collins, Ryan, no last name. Sean Bradbury, Soju Devil da Devil, Soju da Devil. Who knows in uh, the jock and nerd podcast and Tim beat Tim beat. Also we appreciate every single one of you. This podcast honestly could not exist without your donations. And we really, really do value you. So that's episode two fifty. I hope you enjoyed it. We'll be back next week uh, with another episode. I thinking I'm going to try to edit one of our game nights into a podcast. And then when we get into June, we're going to start going biweekly for the summer, try to get two episodes out a month, but you never know. We may end up getting content that fills us up uh, fills up your ear holes, and then we'll get back to September to our normally weekly schedule. Unless I get a real sponsor and then you know, when you're under the under the gun of a sponsorship for a weekly show, you you kinda push it out a little bit further. So anyway, thank you so much for listening and until next time, follow the code of the fish nerd, spawn early and often. Never trust a free lunch with a free lunch with strings attached, and swim against the current every chance you get. You think that me doing the show 250 times I'd be able to nail our closing without notes I cannot do it I, I suck at that sorry bye thanks for listening
0: <laughs> whether you're fly fishing in a stream getting those ankles wet or deep in the ocean casting nets fish nerds fish nerds fish nerds it's a podcast just for the hell of it. Fried it in a basket or broiled in a pan. Eat it raw like you're in Siam. Fish nerds. Fish nerds. Fish nerds. It's a podcast.